Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. You know, companies spend thousands and sometimes millions of dollars to try to discern and then distill down in a simple phrase what they call their mission statement. Because they know that as an organization, they've got to have clarity and purpose. If they're going to ignite their employees to give all they have to a particular cause. And so companies all across the world spend time, energy, resources to carefully articulate exactly why they exist. And the church is really no different as an organization in that sense in which it needs to understand and have great clarity about why it exists and its purpose. Good news for us, we really don't have to spend millions upon millions of dollars to distill and understand what the mission of the church really is. Before Jesus Christ departed this earth with simplicity, he looked at his very first followers and said, I want you to go to people who don't yet know about me and make disciples of all nations. Preach the gospel to them. Teach them. And those that will listen, baptize them into me so that they might have their destinies changed. Go make disciples. And what we've really termed that to be over the last several years since Jesus left is what we call mission work. The effort of missions. So over the last few months, as you can see on the screen, we've been talking about the body of Jesus Christ and how, if there's one major takeaway, it's this, that every single person who is a part of the body of Christ has something to contribute to the body as a whole. The church collectively is called to be the singular body of Christ. Every part contributing to make us the hands of the feet, the mouth, the eyes of Jesus here on earth so that we might bless the world the way that Jesus blessed the world. And when it comes to missions, sometimes it can feel like there's a little bit of a disconnect that you might wonder, well, if I'm not a missionary or if I'm not signing up and planning and being prepared to take a mission trip somewhere, how do I fit into the effort and work and ministry of the local church and its missions? In just a few moments when I'm done, Barry is going to stand up, and Barry's going to tell you a little bit more about our work here in Pickerington, what it's currently doing in mission work, and where we're uh, heading in our efforts here. And in honor of that, I wanted to bring our minds wrapped around the idea of missions, and not just uh, missionaries taking mission trips, which are important, but how every part of the body joins together to work so that missions can happen. This morning I want to tell you about a character in the Bible, a person who has played one of the biggest roles in mission work in the New Testament. In fact, because of this guy, we have probably about half of our New Testament written because of this one man. And also because of this guy, we have probably about half of the churches that you see established in the New Testament are established because of his work. 
Now, the way I'm describing him, you might think, well, we're going to talk about Paul today, probably the most famous missionary ever known. Or maybe we'll talk about Peter. He was a, a very avid preacher of the gospel, and he converted a lot of people. But this morning, we're not going to talk about Paul or Peter. We're going to talk about a man who was called Barnabas, which was his nickname, actually. His name was Joseph, probably. He was from the island, um, uh, he was from the island of Cyprus. He was a Levite. He was a Jew. He's one of the early followers of Jesus, and he was nicknamed Barnabas, which meant this guy is great at encouraging people. That's what it means to be a Barnabas person. He was an encourager. And the Bible describes him as a good man, a prophet and a teacher, a man through whom God would work many different things in his life. Barnabas faced persecution. Barnabas risked his life for the gospel. And Barnabas, we're going to see, believed in all people becoming Christians. And he even had a greater belief in the power of God's grace in transforming people's lives, so much so that he would give everything of his life to that cause. Now, what's great about Barnabas and his life, even though he sort of fades to the background, especially in Paul's ministry, is Barnabas plays several different roles in mission work and you, th you might, and I might, if we look at Barnabas' life, see a way that we can be involved in missions, um, which are many different ways. So let's look at Barnabas' life and learn from his example. It's going to be pretty simple. We're going to see, first of all, as an encourager, Barnabas empowered mission work. He empowered it, meaning he made it happen. The very first place we see this happen is by the giving of his money. Now, if you go to chapter 4... Look in chapter 4. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4 to chapter 15 in that range. So if you open your Bibles to Acts and you're in chapter 4 right now, between chapter 4 and chapter 15, you're going to see all that you really need to see, need to see about Barnabas today. So the first time Barnabas comes onto the scene, the church is newly established. He's there meeting with the saints. And the church had just faced its very first serious persecution, its first challenge. And they're gathering together and they're celebrating because they were considered worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. And they're praying together and they're taking care of each other's needs. And if you go down to chapter 4, verse 36, it says this. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him, brought the money, and laid it, at the apostles' feet. Barnabas, first and foremost, shows us that his very nature was one that was giving. And he was willing to give of his possessions, his money, to make sure that the work of the local church could happen. It's kind of a beautiful thing that you see Barnabas here giving, and it records nothing of what he said. We don't have any record of Barnabas in the way that he described his giving. In fact, in just a moment, in chapter 5, we're going to see a couple of people who talk about their giving in a way that's not so honest, and it doesn't go well for them. But in contrast to that, Barnabas shows up, and he lays the proceeds of this sale at the feet of the apostles to be used at their discretion because he knows that what they're about is the mission of the local church in spreading the gospel and serving the saints. And so Barnabas shows up, and he gives his, gives his money without any stipulation. He lays it down for the work of the local kingdom. 
Mission work, the work of the church, requires finances. There's sometimes a little bit of a squirmishness about us as humans, and then mostly at times maybe because we're sort of in a consumeristic, capitalistic American society that sometimes we talk about religion and we talk about money, we get a little bit squeamish. Barnabas is a great example of a man who said, listen, I know it takes money for the work of God to be done. It takes money. That's how this thing works. And he was willing to give first and foremost of his finances. That's a way that people can be involved in the mission and the work of the local church. All the things that were able to be done by the giving of Barnabas's money, we don't know if Barnabas was involved with it or not. He may have just gave money to apostles. They may have done something with it. And that's all Barnabas had to do with that particular part of the work of the church. But his money made things happen. The second thing, if you go over to chapter 11, Barnabas gave was hope. Barnabas was a man that gave hope. Look in chapter 11 in verse 19. So in chapter 11, some things are happening in the local church there in Jerusalem. They're hearing about Gentiles being converted. And because of the persecution of the local Christians in Jerusalem and Judea, Christians were being spread out through the known world. And they were starting to convert people who weren't Jewish and converting other people who were Jews but were what called Hellenistic Jews, which were, they spoke Greek and they were of the modern world. They weren't really drawn away from the world like other Jews were. And so this was happening. If you look down in verse 19... It says, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Verse 20. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, that's the Greek-speaking Jews, also, preaching the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Now, this is coming off the heels of Peter baptizing Cornelius, who was a Roman centurion and his family, into Christ, who became Christians, and there was a great sort of upheaval and energy added to this fervor. Are Jews or non-Jews allowed to become Christians? How does this work? Are people who are outside of our sort of comfort zone allowed to become Christians? And so this hearing that there are people in Antioch who are of the Hellenists that were becoming Christians gets to the ears of the people in Jerusalem and they say, we got to check this out. What's going on? And there's a lot of questions and they send um, Barnabas to Antioch. Now look in verse 23 what Barnabas does. In light of the tension, in light of the uncertainty, Barnabas shows up. In verse 23 it says, When he came, he saw the grace of God. He was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, steadfast mission. The Jerusalem church hears that Hellenists are converting and they send Barnabas because they know that he is an optimistic encourager. Now, can you imagine just for a moment when Barnabas walked in to this new church plant in Antioch with Hellenistic Jews who were sort of trying to figure this out, what kind of mess that was? He did not walk into, you know, vacuumed carpets and pews and people with printed bulletins and organized church and no problems and no mistakes. He didn't walk into that kind of situation. If you've been to a church plant, especially in a culture that's unfamiliar with Christianity, it's kind of messy. 
You know, people don't really know what to do, and there are going to be mistakes that are made. People aren't going to understand exactly all the things that are right and wrong, and they're working through that. And when Barnabas walked into that situation, how quickly could he have seen all the problems and brought his bucket of criticism and poured it on the ashes of that work? But he didn't. He had heat vision goggles, and he was looking for grace. And he saw signs of grace working in people's lives, and he inflamed the good work of God in that area. What a man, right? So he sees people trying. He sees people giving effort. Yes, they've got problems. Certainly, they're making mistakes. But he sees life of grace happening there, and he's excited about it. And he says in verse 23 that his heart was glad because of it. He's an optimist. He's an encourager. He is giving people hope. And you and I, when we see challenges, maybe people facing difficulties, maybe missionaries running into some uh, problems, our first instinct should be to give them hope, to give them encouragement like Barnabas did. Barnabas empowered the mission. If you go down to chapter 9, let's go back to chapter 9. Not just by giving money or giving hope, but Barnabas also gave second chances. So when I mentioned earlier that we have half of the New Testament mostly because of Barnabas, here's what I meant. The man by the name of Saul who was wreaking havoc on the New Testament church. I mean, given authority, putting people in prison, overseeing the death of many Christians in the early part of the church. He was just breathing threats and fire against the church. Has an experience and he's converted. Now, as you can imagine, after he's converted, he's like knocking on the door of the churches there in Jerusalem like, hey guys, what's going on? Can I come in? I've got a word I'd like to preach to you. And the Christians in Jerusalem were, understandably so, a little bit reserved. That might be a nice way of saying it. They were cautious of Saul. If you were going to try to trap some Christians, that might be the smartest move, right? Pretend to be one. He infiltrates. That's what they think he's trying to do. But look down in verse 26 of chapter 9. It says this, And when he had come, Saul of Tarsus, when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles, and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord and who spoke to him, and how, at, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So... He went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of Jesus our Lord. Paul, later known, Saul of Tarsus, was given his chance with the church in Jerusalem because of Barnabas. Meaning, we might not have the 13 epistles we have in the New Testament without Barnabas who looked at Saul and stuck his neck out, used his social capital with the church in Jerusalem and say, hey, I'll vouch for this guy. I've seen what he's done. I've seen him change. I've walked with him. I've watched him preach boldly. And I'll tell you, yes, he's got a reputation, but I've walked with this guy and I know all about him. He gave him a second chance. Now go to chapter 15 because this happens again. Barnabas does it again. In chapter 15, down in verse 36, Paul and Barnabas will go on a missionary trip, the first one together. And they go all through that thing. It takes a couple years. They come back. They decide that, hey, you know what, we should go again and go back to these cities that we establish churches and let's encourage them. And on the first trip in chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas take as a, an assistant or a sidekick a man by the name of John Mark who writes the Gospel of Mark. And they get 
just barely into the mission trip and Mark bails. He gets a little bit afraid. Maybe he misses home. Maybe he's nervous. He's probably young. And he runs home and leaves um, Barnabas and Saul out in the mission field. So, Mark, or so Barnabas says in chapter 15, yeah, we need to go back. Let's take Mark with us. Let's give him a second chance. Look down in verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. 37. Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. How about that? Barnabas breathed a second life into Mark. Mark gave up on mission work. Mark was nervous. Mark was afraid. Mark was probably going home to just sort of give up. Maybe he was sneak in, sit in the back pews, slip out quickly, sort of live the life maybe as a marginal Christian. And Barnabas, it doesn't say that Mark was asking, can I try again? It says Barnabas wanted to take Mark again. He saw something in Mark. He knew Mark had it in him, and he breathed life into him. He gave him a second chance. I just wonder uh, how many people have been given a second chance or need a second chance. Who in your life needs to be defended, encouraged? Who do you need to go to and say, hey, I've seen good in you. You've done well. Why are you backsliding? Why are you giving up? Let's try this again. Who needs to be reminded that this practice of Christianity is not a demonstration always of our excellence, but of the grace and goodness of God? Who needs that in your life? Somebody might need that. You might, your work in mission work might be this, a word of an encouragement to a person who will be a missionary. The number of people that I've encountered who are working in, whether it's mission fields or ministry in some way, who are there because somebody breathed a second life into them, who had given up, who had uh, given into despair, but are now working in ministry and mission fields is unbelievable. I'm a product of second chances. In fact, my schoolmates are still shocked that I work in ministry today. They, they just can't believe it. And I'm a product of multiple second chances, of people who saw past the imperfections, into the grace of God and breathe out of hope, life into me again. Who in your life needs second chances breathe into them? They may be a missionary. Let me give you one last one. Barnabas gave his money. He gave hope. He gave second chances. Back to chapter 11, Barnabas gave opportunity. He gave opportunity. <clears throat> if you look down in chapter 11, starting verse 22... Here's what it says about, so Barnabas was sent by Jerusalem to Antioch, right? He's there, he has to preach, and he's helping them. And here's what you see. Things are actually going well for Barnabas. So picture Barnabas sent by himself from Jerusalem to Antioch. And it says in verse 22, it says, The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came, he saw the grace of God. He was glad. He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord and with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So picture this. 
He's not there for a day. He's there for an extended period of time. And he's teaching, he's preaching, he's encouraging them. And there are a lot of people being added to the Lord because of the work of Barnabas. Things are going well. But, it says in verse 20, uh, 25, So Barnabas went to Tarsus to do what? To look for Saul. You see, opportunities are found, first of all, in seeing a need. Things are going so well. Things are active there. Barnabas, who knows about Saul, knows the way that he preaches, knows his effectiveness, knows also that he needs help. He's aware of a need. And so he goes to find Saul because he says, this is a place where Saul could work. Now, if Barnabas were living out of his ego, not of the grace of God, he would have said, I'm not telling Saul. Saul's a better speaker than I am. Saul's a better preacher than I am. He's more convincing than I am. He might get more attention than I'll get. If he was working out of ego, he would have stayed there and kept trying to convert people on his own. But he saw the need, and so he went to find Saul. What need are you aware of right now? What people group do you know about where there needs to be the gospel preached? What people maybe are underserved or dismissed right now that you are aware of? There may be mission opportunity that needs to be brought to light because you know of a need. And like Barnabas, will you give opportunity to those? So opportunity is found when we see a need, but also when we go and we seek help. He went to get Saul, as we see there. He went to get somebody who knew, who he knew could help him do this. So when you see a need, see an opportunity, maybe you're working in an area and you're familiar with somebody who could help, go give that opportunity. Barnabas empowered the mission because he elevated the mission above himself. And from this point forward in chapter 11, what we see about Barnabas after this is that he draws to the background in the story. And Saul, who becomes Paul, draws to the front. Let me finish with this part. So Barnabas empowered the mission by giving money, giving hope, giving second chances, and giving opportunity. But he also executed the mission. Barnabas wasn't just a man who supported other people in the mission. He wasn't just a man who saw opportunities and told people where to go or gave his money to make sure it happened. Barnabas was a man who was willing to go. If you look down in verse um, chapter 13, look in verse 1. <clears throat> In verse 1 it says this, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, who was Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend, and Herod the Tetrarch of Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Barnabas was a man who was willing to go. Multiple trips, many years, thousands and thousands of sermons and Bible studies and discussions. Barnabas himself was a man who was willing to preach the gospel and go for it. Man, I wonder in this room right now who God wants to go somewhere and do something. Maybe not lifelong or maybe not long term, maybe short term. But I wonder who in this room God wants to send to maybe a different town in this area, a different place of work, maybe a different county. Did you know there are still counties in Ohio without Churches of Christ established? Right now in Ohio, still. Maybe a different state, a different country. But who in this room is God, through prayer and discernment, trying to draw 
and to work where they're willing to go. I wonder who's willing. So Barnabas executed the mission because he was willing to go, but he was also willing to give way. In verse 4 it says this, chapter 13. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salmas, they proclaimed the word of God in synagogues of the Jews, and and they had John to assist them. That's John Mark. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Patphos, they came to a certain magician, Jewish false prophet named Margesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Almas the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Now pause. Up until this point, whose name has been first? Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul. And there's a man who is intelligent, a magician who's trying to keep him from the faith, who's defending against it, and it says in verse 9, But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind, unable to see the sun for a time, immediately mist and uh, darkened uh, mist and darkness fell upon him and they went about seeking the people to lead him by the hand then the proconsul believed when he saw that he occurred for he was astonished at the teaching of the lord now look at verse 13 you see this story barnabas saw barnabas saw barnabas saw and in this threat saul speaks up because Saul was witty, intelligent, sharp, and he was a speaker. In fact, when he, they are worshipped later, it's um, Barnabas who is called Zeus because he's towering, but Paul who is called Hermes because he's the speaker. Now look in verse 13. Now Paul and his companions. Not Barnabas and Saul anymore? Paul and his companions. Barnabas was a man of great humility. He loved the mission more than he loved himself. He loved to see the grace of God through the gospel shared with as many people as possible, and he could not care less who carried the message and how it got there. He just loved God's grace being shared with people. So here's what I ask you. As in a body of people who all of us can't just get on a plane and leave tomorrow, don't do that. We can't. But we can all be involved in mission work by giving money, giving hope to people, giving second chances and breathing life into people, giving opportunity by speaking of needs and and really seeking people to be involved. And maybe one of you or a few of you in here are being called to go somewhere, maybe for your life or maybe for a week, but maybe you're being called. But all of us can give way to the mission being exalted and not ourselves. Where do we learn such a thought? It was Jesus himself who taught Barnabas how to do this and teaches us to do it himself. He was the one who was completely certain about his mission, completely committed. He knew why he came to earth and he knew and he was willing to do it. How do you get that kind of certainty and that kind of conviction? Just like Jesus did through a connection with the Father. Jesus said, I know where I come from and I know where I'm going. He had connection to the Father. He stayed close to him. And because of that, he knew the mission And he had conviction that he would do it. His mission was to change the status of sinners to saints, from unbelievers to believers, from foreigners to children. And in changing our status, he changes our destiny from hell to heaven. 
And man, when you connect to Jesus Christ on his mission, it changes your status and changes your purpose. So you as a member of this body here, if you want to get linked into the mission of God, you've got to first have the mission applied to you. You've got to become a Christian. Your status has to change. Become a believer. Become a child. Become a servant. And if you are a believer, you've got to deepen that connection with the Father through, word, through the Word, through prayer, and through community so that you can know how you play a part in the mission of God in this place. If you need help with that, please, please let us help. We're here. We can, we're going to stand and sing this song in just a moment. You can come now and ask for help. You can ask for help anytime. We'll walk with you through that. Let's stand and sing this song. If we can help you now, you can come.